streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Frame, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show today. Uh, it's uh, Monday, the 23rd of January. And if you've been on Duck Territory the last couple of days, last week or so, you've been seeing Eric's position reviews and kind of State of the Union for each group. Uh, and we're going to go through the offense here um, in line with those stories. Uh, we're going to kind of give you guys our thoughts on just – where the offense currently sits and what a depth chart would look like um, as they have entered winter workouts. Spring football is probably, I don't know, six or so weeks away. Um, a good opportunity to kind of reset the table offensively. And, and starting at quarterback, um, this will probably be one of the quicker units to, to review because Bo is back. And that's probably the biggest storyline for the offense, maybe the biggest storyline for the program, um, is that Oregon gets a second year with Bo Nix when we don't we weren't really expecting that when he arrived. Um Jay Butterfield is gone. Ty Thompson is still on the roster. Uh walk-ons Marcus Sanders and Jake Van Dyne are also on the roster as well. Uh and then Austin Novosad has also been added to the mix. And so has walk-on uh, quarterback Brock Thomas, a local kid from Eugene, Sheldon High School, three-star guy. Had some, I think, D1 offers or FCS offers, but chose to walk on at Oregon. So I think the quarterback room can be defined as healthy, um, and I don't know if we really thought that this time last year after the 2022 season. Yeah, no, it's uh... – First off, it's huge to have Bo back. I mean, that that completely shifts the offensive narrative and the way we would be talking about this team going into the offseason. Um, you know, I, if, if he hadn't returned, it would have been very curious to see what direction they would have gone. I think, obviously, they would have hit the portal, gone after some of the guys we've seen land in this conference or other conferences as, as highly regarded transfer portal additions. Um, but they didn't have to go through that because they got their guy back. And I think that, again, and we, we don't have to relitigate this one too many times, but it keeps you on pace if you want to talk about like an arms race in this conference at quarterback because the other major players have either had their guy return, you look at the way that's gone down at USC, Washington, and Utah, or in Oregon State's case, upgraded at quarterback. Um, so the four big competitors that Oregon has right now to, to compete for a conference championship have, again, have either returned their guy or upgraded, and, and Oregon being able to do the same thing with you know having Bo come back is significant with just kind of remaining on even footing with with those schools. So um, obviously that's huge. That's the biggest storyline, I think, for me this offseason, probably on the entire team from just a roster-building perspective, the fact that he returns. We know how much, how important a quarterback is. Oregon fans have seen that uh, in the last few seasons before Bo got here of just how mediocre or, or to poor quarterback play <clears throat> can kind of put uh, an offense in a tough spot. So that's key. Um, I know fans are clamoring for a better backup situation. I just don't know if that's very uh, realistic, to be honest with you, in in this modern day of college football where you're not – it's very unlikely you can just stash a starting caliber quarterback on your roster because guess what? He's going to hit the portal. So your hope is Ty Thompson develops into that so he can be <clears throat> a capable backup in 23 and, and maybe the guy in 24. Um, but we'll have to kind of wait and see how that goes. But I think all in all, you feel pretty darn good about where you are at quarterback. You've got your guy back and at least you have, I guess, a a guy in the program in Thompson who's been around enough to know kind of the ins and outs, has some comfort level, obviously hasn't been great when he's in the field. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you, man, remember how good Ty Thompson was this last season? Because everybody knows it wasn't great, but a level of continuity there doesn't hurt, I don't think. It certainly doesn't, and I'll say that as long as Oregon's offense is good, they'll be in the running for any any quarterback who enters the transfer portal, like 100%. Like, I see no problems with them getting talent in the transfer portal, especially at the quarterback position, as long as Will Stein proves himself, as long as they continue to produce at a national level and stay stay relevant. Uh, it's still a brand that, that grows across the country. 
there's kids all over who understand what Oregon means and what the program will deliver and what and who Dan Lanning is to who a lot of their recruiting staff is. Um, I see no issues at the quarterback position recruiting wise going forward, especially out of the portal. But um, yeah, you look at it right now and Ty Thompson is your backup. And I'll say I, um, I'm i totally confident with Ty Thompson as a backup. Um, like Eric said, I won't tell you that he played unbelievable this, this last season because he just didn't. The stats show it. The eyeball test shows it. But we've never seen that guy have a chance to actually take the field in a position to win a football game or anything other than just garbage time except for that one Washington game where he was asked to do a whole lot, like just completely in the middle of the game after Bo Nix's injury. Um, I'd like to see one game where he actually gets t uh, trusted to, to run the offense, and that might have came against Utah, but Bo Nix ended up playing. Um, I'd just like to see what he has at one point because I think that'll surprise a lot of people. Uh, we've, we've always heard good things about Ty during practice, and um, we've seen him do well during our daily 11-on-11 periods. Um, but I, I think, to Eric's point, to to think that you have a, need a backup quarterback who's going to be a starting caliber quarterback, that's just not very possible. And unless they're a true five star coming in that needs a time or needs a year to sit, like DJ Uyunglele did at Clemson, um, those are different scenarios in, in its entirety. You know, you're already basically handing the keys to the car to that guy at that point, just depending on who's in front of them. But um, you know, I'm. I'm, I'm I'm happy to see, or I'm excited to see what Austin Novosad looks like during his development here. I've seen what he looks like during spring camp. Um, it'll be a position where they'll need to add maybe another two scholarship guys by the end of the season, just because of Nix's departure and maybe a Ty Thompson departure. But again, like I said earlier, I don't have any worries about how they'll be able to recruit as long as Will Stein proves that he's a good offensive coordinator. Yeah. Quarterback, like, I agree with Jared. Like, as long as Will Stein does good things as the OC, and if he ever moves on to become head coach, whoever they replace him, they'll have no they'll have no problems finding good quarterbacks. And that's kind of um, been the case at Oregon for a while. Like that's been the reputation that they've had. Like finding talent won't be the issue. It's executing that talent on the field. Um, running back here. Let's shift down to. I, I don't think anyone. Expects Bo Nix to be beat out. <laughs> no, I well, I, I guess the only thing I'd say just to wrap quarterback and we'll review is if, if we're doing a depth chart projection, are we comfortable saying it's Bo and Ty as QB one, QB two? Yes. Or is there, yeah, I don't mm -hmm. think there's much objection to Ty being the number two. I know fans would love to see somebody else as a number two, but I just find that unrealistic. I think the biggest question at that is, do they? get Austin Novosad in for four games. Like how many games does he actually play? Yeah. Um, and that's that's going to be the fine line of, do you roll with Ty Thompson to get him as many reps as you possibly can to get him as ready to go to compete for the starting job in 2024? Or do you split those reps between Ty and Bo, or Ty and Austin? And hope that you know you get a little bit of feedback on on both guys. I, I don't know what that answer is, but I think that's like the biggest question with this group. Yeah, I think if that's your if that's the biggest question, that's a good thing to have because yes. then you're just talking like, oh, all these games are blowouts, and we can either give ten and ten or twenty and zero. Um, it, I, I, to me, it wouldn't matter. I'd, I'd be fine if it was ten ten. I'd be fine if it was twenty to nothing in terms of snap counts for those guys. I think they both deserve a shot to play, but. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if Novosad is, is good enough as a freshman to come in there and actually play college football. That's right. All right. At running back, um, a lot of change with this group from what it looked like, uh, even just this time last season. Yeah, um, especially that. Yeah. Uh, you you have Bucky Irving back. You have No Winnington back. You have Jordan James back. But Sean Dollars is off to Nevada. Byron Cardwell is off to uh, California. The Ducks have gone out and they've added two running back commits to this position group. Um, Dante Dadao, who's a four-star recruit. Uh, I believe he's top 150, yeah, um, 142. And then Jaden Lamar is another four-star running back that's also been added to the mix, a top 300 guy. So you've got some talented freshmen, you've got some talented returners, and you have an underclassman in Jordan James who had a very um, promising start to his career where 
this time last year, I was like, boy, they, they have maybe one or two scholarship guys. Let's see what happens. They need to find backs. Now it's this room is completely loaded and it's been completely turned over too. I mean, I, I don't think anyone has been here for more than a year now. Correct. Yeah. And, and ironically, a year ago when spring ball opened, the two guys that were the, the only two remaining scholarship running backs, I should say, were Cardwell and Dollars who are now gone. <laughs> and then they added Whittington midway through camp. Jordan James showed up in the summer and they added the commitment of Irving. I want to say that was like mid-May. And that's another thing just to keep an eye on for when, you know, with the portal is obviously they've added new dates, but uh, Oregon even a year ago was pretty active in adding players after spring ball concluded. And so don't be surprised. I'm not saying running back specifically because I think they're all set there, but don't be surprised um, to see Oregon continue to recruit even, even after spring and into early parts of the summer. But no, yeah, no, th this is a total kind of turnover from a year ago. As Matt said, none of these guys have been here longer than one calendar a year. I still think this is one of the biggest strengths on the roster. I mean, I think you have to feel really, really good about it. I, I at those who've been kind of longtime listeners or readers of mine saw this year, I had running backs graded as the, the best position on the team. And all three of your top running backs are back. So I think you have to be really excited about this position group. Be curious to see maybe just how, and this is just the entire offense, but just how Will Stein and kind of what his view is for a program and an offense and how he wants to utilize players differently. Um, we've talked about it a little bit, but running back rotation, does that change? Kenny Dillingham, even when you look back at his involvement at, at previous stops, whether that be at Memphis or, or Auburn or, or Florida State, had shown kind of a, I guess, a, proclivity for using three to four to five running backs is will stein somebody who wants to do that how does that change things but i to me if we're talking depth chart i think it's your two veteran guys are one and two again i would be really surprised if that's anything else is is the case by this time the season starts and who knows maybe downtown dowdell is incredible and i'm overlooking that and we get to get to the fall and we go man they're gonna have a hard time keeping him out of that top two but I don't rely on true freshmen very often for that. And amongst the returning guys, I think it was a pretty clear one-two with with Irving and Whittington. And I think that gives you one of the better duos, certainly at West, and and frankly, one of the better duos in, in Power 5 football. I wouldn't be able to sit here and try to rank it for you and try to go through school by school by school because I haven't done the exercise. But there aren't, I don't think, a lot of schools nationally who bring back their top two guys who are both really highly regarded, um, both kind of on an individual basis, but as, as a pair like this. So... Uh, I think a lot to be excited about here, and now we get to see what these new pieces can bring. And again, I try not to put too much expectations on the true freshman now. I've kind of learned that over the years. Um, but Dowdell and Lamar, I wouldn't be stunned if one of those guys ends up being a contributor. But even if they aren't, I think you feel really good about where things are. And yeah, I don't think you should put too much expectations on these freshman running backs because Oregon doesn't need them. They just don't. But they're three running backs. You have Bucky, you have Noah Whittington, and then you have Jordan James. I don't think you need a fourth or a fifth running back in this offense, barring an injury. Um, you saw it last season. I mean, Jordan James literally only got onto the field because uh, it was like a goal line situation or a fourth down running back or a short down running back in that 14J package. But, um, you know, Sean Dollars saw the field very sparingly over the, the second half of the season. Everybody thought that he would be like the clear number three back and the clear, um, like, couple rundown maybe a pass option out of the backfield guy but that's what Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington can do and they're both good at at catching the ball out of the backfield other than that one Bucky Irving drop in the first game of the season that everybody said that they that he should be you know benched for Byron Cardwell um, I, I think it worked out pretty well for Oregon and, and Noah Whittington as well um, this is a really stacked group I like like you guys both said um, I don't think it's the the best group on the team but it's up there just in terms of pure depth and pure talent. Um, I really like the true freshmen coming in. I like Dante Dowdell. Um, Lamar strikes me as someone who's going to need a college program for a year or two to get up to speed and get up to the strength needed to compete at the Power 5 football level. But Dowdell strikes me as someone like Jordan James was last year, who if Oregon really needs somebody, they can rely on him and they can get him into the game. Um, you just already have that kind of guy in Jordan James. So I think that this running room is running back room, excuse me, is, is great. I think, like Eric said, I think they're two of the top returners, potentially in Power 5 football, definitely in the Pac-12. Um, what Carlos Lachlan has done as a running back coach who came in from, you know, basically from from nowhere that, that we knew of, was a total no-name guy coming in. Obviously, he was running back coach at Western Kentucky the year prior and then worked off-field at Florida State. Um, 
what he's been able to do at Oregon in terms of recruiting, in terms of getting the running back room healthy and getting the running back room engaged and learning the playbook um, has just been great. It's been a wonderful hire for Dan Lanning. Um, proves us wrong yet again on one of his hires that we're, we're not sure about. So um, I, I think the running back room is, is one of the strongest on the team. It's got to be probably top three, in my opinion, just in pure talent and pure depth purposes at this point. I'm, I'm glad, Jared, you said that because I – you said it like when he was hired, he was probably the most doubted coach uh, from a resume perspective mm-hmm. um, on this staff and from those outside the football program. And when you look at what the, the running back group did this season, they were one of the strongest, most consistent units in, in the league. Um, they returned the top rusher in the conference and Bucky um Noah's like top five top six in the conference in returning rushing yards and so like on the field success is there and we're seeing the recruiting success too and I think it's not just that position group like Lachlan's being used everywhere and if there's a coach that needs a raise this offseason needs a, a new deal I, I think the first reaction is probably hey like you need to lock up Dan Lanning you know maybe give him a a, a a new contract but I almost would argue it's Carlos Lachlan like he's getting paid like two hundred thousand dollars or something like that like I don't have the the contract in front of me but it's like astronomically low and he's worth way more than what he's getting paid by Oregon right now his his job has done he's done a really good job 200,000 sounds like a ton to me. I would sign up for $200,000. As would I. But in the but context for his profession. Of, I was just saying, the context of his profession, how much a, an average running back or, or just position coach makes, yeah, he's making pennies on the dollar compared to what some people are making in this industry. So I totally get it. Um, yeah, I, I think you lock him up for as long as you can. I, I, I been, We will see. Again, I just, I've said a couple times, the sample size is kind of small. I was super impressed with year one if the trend continues to be that he – gets the most out of this group and Oregon's run game is, is one of the better run games in the country and the conference as it was this last year. This is a guy who you want to try to lock down as long as, as possible. You know, they, they've had a, mm-hmm. quite a bit of running back turnover, you know, to a certain degree at, at the, at the coaching position since Gary Campbell, at least I guess compared to Campbell who That's, was here for yeah. three decades. Not that you would want or expect Lachlan who's, Roots are from Memphis, Tennessee, uh, I believe, to, to, to be in Eugene for 30 years. But if you could have a guy be your running backs coach for the entirety of Dan Lanning's, like if, if those two could just be paired together for however long Dan stays here. And I think those listening to this podcast now, I'd like that to be a really long time because Oregon hasn't had a lot of longevity with its head coaches either. But my, my point is Lachlan would be a guy you'd be great to have in Eugene for the long haul, if possible, just because I think that's a position that historically for Oregon has been really, really good. Kind of saw some leaner years um, in the interim between Campbell to, to Lachlan, but I think is, is clearly headed, in my opinion, in the right direction uh, right now. Does, I don't think there's going to be any objections to kind of finalizing this position group by by saying it's it's Bucky and Noah in that order as your running back depth chart. Yeah. As a 2 deep for sure. Yeah. Who would you have third, Eric? I'd still go Jordan James. I still would and, until I see Dante Dowdell on campus and get a better feel for what that looks like in person. Cause it's one thing to see it on film. Like how many times have we seen somebody on film and been like, Oh man, they're going to be amazing mm-hmm. year one. And then year three goes by and you're like, Oh, they still haven't contributed. I'm not saying that'll be Dante Dowdell. Cause I think he's got a lot of talent, but I still haven't seen him play against college athletes or Oregon's athletes or see where he stacks up compared. So I, I still go with James as the number three, but no, uh, Dowdell, no, I, oh, I'm open no, to Dowdell. Smith. Is Aaron Smith still on the roster? Oh, is he entering the transfer portal? I have no idea. They've got so many walk-on running backs, and I don't even know at this point. Is Kilo from Hilo? Was he a senior last year? I, I think he has another year. I think Kilo's got I've another got year. I've got it. Here, let me look at it. Let's go. Oh. That's big for the program, for the, for the listeners who aren't aware. Kilo Hanna-Hazenritter. Oh, Jared, you're good. you're a good friend. He he still has four more years of eligibility. Kilo? Or – uh, three. three years of eligibility. He's a redshirt freshman. Yeah, I, I was gonna say. I Good thought Lord. I I thought he was younger than we we thought when he came through. So yeah, he was a, a redshirt more, freshman. He's got a lot more kilo from Hilo. All right. Well, 
I might have to change our depth chart prediction. But that's I, I think uh, I, I think Aaron Smith is in the portal because he's been 404 on the uh, on the roster. If you're unfamiliar with that, somewhere. go to his, uh, his roster page down. So he's probably not on the roster. That's a shame. He'll he'll land somewhere, probably like Nevada. But I think he he could be good there. Big guy. Is there anything more? Um, this is not a shot at Oregon because they they typically don't do this. But is there anything more petty than a kid entering the transfer portal and like we want to go look at his bio to read it and within like two hours it's been four oh four and the school just immediately just well eliminates all trace I, of this guy I, having <laughs> a, a, a pass with them. My, my my favorite remains there was a softball pitcher Oregon had who left midseason and, <laughs> and they not they, they removed her roster for they 404 her on the thing and then on the stats they just had her number they didn't even put her na- her name so it was just like <laughs> number 22 had pitched 24 innings or whatever it was and i was always like that is really petty like that is completely Ooh. scrubbing her existence from the record. <laughs> <laughs> all right let's slide over to uh wide receivers and tight ends here um or are we doing tight ends Separate. I don't I, care. I separate them in my story. I okay. don't have a huge. I mean, we can go either way. We've got. We've got time. Yeah. Let's let's go. Uh, let's go wide receivers. Then we'll take our break and we'll come back with tight ends and offensive line. Uh, Junior Adams, um, a coach that is going to be entering his second year with the Ducks, previously of Washington. Um, he inherited a interesting. That's how I'm going to describe this position group because like a lot of talent, a lot of unproven talent. Some proven guys, um, and then they brought in some new pieces, some guys that have just not really done anything in their careers at Oregon after being highly recruited. And I was pretty darn impressed with, A, the development of Trey Franklin. He turned into a bonafide star in the Pac-12 as a receiver. Um, I thought we got the best out of Chase Cota in his five-year career. Uh, Looked really good there for Oregon. Um, and then, you know, you had Chris Hudson certainly had his really good moments. He also had some really poor moments. Um, but then after that three, you maybe look at Dante Thornton and, you know, he had 17 catches for 366 yards and a touchdown. But there was a big difference between, like, the top three guys and everybody else. Well, yeah, I was going to say that was the thing that kind of stood. I was actually going to kind of frame it that way. When you look at the receiver group in, in 22, um, you know, you, you think at running back, how much they rotated, how many different guys had big contributions. You look at the receiver room, and just especially just from just a, a receiving contributions perspective, it really was sort of three guys when all three of those guys were healthy. Because, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I haven't memorized it. But I would imagine Thornton's stats, the 366 you mentioned there, Matt, like I know 150 of those happened in the Utah game where Coda didn't play. And Coda also missed a couple games before that. So I would bet that like over half at least, probably more than that, of Thornton's production came in games Coda didn't play. So essentially the it's way like the two-thirds. off thirds is that what it it's, is? Yeah. it's a majority of it, like easily a majority of it. So you look at it and kind of go the way that this offense, you know, this group rotated. And like I said, at running back, gosh, we, they, they, they ran through a bunch of guys. At receiver, it was really just they sort of stuck with their, their, their top three guys, whoever those guys were, whoever was healthy to play all those positions. Um, they didn't really go far into the depth there. And I don't know if that speaks specifically to the way the talent was con- comprised this past season or if that is a kind of, uh, philosophical viewpoint that Adams has and Dillingham carried or, or whatnot. But I just thought that was kind of notable when you go back and look through it. It, it really was like, okay, if, if Franklin, Coda, and Hudson are playing, they are getting most of the snaps and they are getting most of the production. And okay, Coda's now out and now Thornton's getting, you know, steps in. And he's, it's not like they're splitting those reps between him and Kyler Casper and whoever else. So I did think that was kind of notable. It'd be kind of something else to track this upcoming season to see if they do something similar in terms of sticking with a, a three, a three guys, four guys, whatever it is. Um, but I do think that was was notable. And the fact that Oregon brings back two of those players from this past season, in Franklin and Hudson, I think makes you very encouraged. And then you get even more optimistic when you consider that they've also gone in and hit the portal with two players who I think we both. And all three of us, I should say, think can be plugged in and potentially starting right away. And then they hit the, you know, hit the recruiting, they had a home run in the recruiting with signing their 
second highest rated wide receiver recruit of all time. I think Dickey's still behind Cam Colvin is my recollection on the rankings. I don't know 100%. I think that's right because I think Colvin was a little higher. Um, but still, a five-star recruited receiver doesn't happen all that often if you're Oregon. And to go get one along with the other additions you've made, like I'll put it this way, I would be surprised if they maintain a three-player rotation, basically, that the production is – because, again, like I don't have the – it would, be, it would be interesting to do that exercise of like, I bet you whoever the three starting receivers were had like 90% of the receiver production in those games. Um, mm-hmm. I would be curious to see. I, I don't anticipate that will be the case this next season just because I think they've got more bodies, you know, um, depending upon kind of if there's any more portal uh, turnover. But I look at this group and think there's a lot of talent and there's a lot of different ways you could go about it. And I think there's value in playing some of these younger guys a little bit more than what we saw this past season when, again, it really was like you're starting three receivers, playing some two tight end sets, playing some two running back sets, and then very, very rarely did you see them really go deep into their bench and, and utilize, you know, the Josh Delgados and Isaiah Crockers and Kyler Caspers and Caleb Chapman's of the world. Like those guys really didn't – because remember we had a moment there in fall where we were like maybe Caleb Chapman's going to be like guy number four and he's going to play a ton or guy number five, and then he just yeah. – have a role. He like basically didn't play at he all. He hardly so. played. He's like specialty. No, he, yeah, he just it just seemed like he never got healthy. I mean, I liked him just for the pure potential of him, where he's like a six foot five guy who runs fast. Like, yes, I'll I'll take that all day over like a six foot tall slot guy. Um, I just think, yeah, looking back on the season, I just think we we overvalued the depth at Oregon's wide receiver position going into the season. Yeah. I just you know. Why now that the season is over, obviously hindsight is always twenty twenty. You know, it's like why why would I really want to go play um, Isaiah Crocker or Josh Delgado or Isaiah Bravard or Caleb Chapman? Like the guys in front of them were so much better, and it was there was such a clear drop off behind everybody, every, all the starters and behind Terrence Ferguson. I'll include him too in this list. Then everybody else. Like I have the stats in front of me now, and Troy Franklin. You know, he finished with almost nine hundred yards receiving. That's basically double what Hudson had and double what double what Coda had and double what Ferguson had. And then Thornton had that 150-yard game, finishes with 360. Um, that's a big difference there. And I agree with you, Eric, that the guys that they're bringing in this offseason with Jurion Dickey and Ashton Kozar and Tez Johnson and Treshawn Holden from Alabama, those are legitimate guys. Um, you know, they, they have to replace Coda and they have to replace Dante Thornton and Crocker, Braybard. But – the depth is much better this season. And I think they have legitimate options to go as in, in terms of it's two or three deep. I don't know where Jerry on Dickey is going to play, but I bet you he sees the field. Mm. Um, I, you know, that's, this is kind of like the Troy Franklin effect in his freshman season. Um, Troy Franklin was in line to start, got, got hurt before the first game of 2021, you know, starts a couple games, plays in a bunch of games, has that really good game against Oklahoma and the Alamo bowl. Um, and I, so I think Dickey has a path to that. I think Ashton Cozart is an intriguing prospect because he's all of 6'3", 6'4", is another really fast guy, which seems to be the, the trend that this staff has looked at specifically, which, again, I, I agree with. I think that's a good thing to have guys who are tall and run really fast, but that's just me. Um, I like this receiving room a lot more than, like, now that I can look back at the, at the receiving room last year and the depth that they assembled because it wasn't, it wasn't great depth. It was a lot of guys who maybe had a high ranking out of high school but hadn't produced a lot, so maybe the potential was still there. In this case, there are guys who produce, and there are guys who produce at a high level of football too, like Tez Johnson, even though um, even though he's always been called small and might not fit the, the power five profile of a slot wide receiver. That guy produced. He balls everywhere he goes. Treshawn Holden was pretty good at Alabama, but he was at Alabama. Maybe it'll be different when he's at Oregon and playing Pac-12 defenses for a, for a conference that notoriously does not play defense, especially last year. So I, I like this receiving room. I really like what Junior Adams has done. Um, he's impressed me a lot as a wide receiver coach, like Matt was saying earlier. Um, I didn't expect him to recruit at, recruit at this level and bring in guys from all over the country to come to Oregon, but he's done it, and he's gotten guys locked in, and, and uh, Troy Franklin becoming a true, true number one is, is something I was really impressed to see this past year. Here's a question, because – Jared brought this into my idea frame here. Um, he's like, I don't know where Jerry on Dickey's going to play. Who has a bigger production in 2023? Jerry on Dickey, Tez Johnson, or Treshawn Holden? 
Probably Tez. Yeah, well, I think it, he's the starter. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. It's hard because I, I don't know what to do with the whole Chris Hudson, Tez Johnson slot receiver thing. Because if Tez, in theory, beats Chris Hudson out, which I'm not saying is a for sure at all, yeah. then Tez is a starter. And based upon mm-hmm. most hit, most schools, guys who start get more production. I would be really surprised if Dickey starts. Um, I do not have a great feel for if he's an X or a Z. Like I, I don't know. We, we'll go through my depth chart projection in a moment. Um, like we know Trayshawn Holden's a Z receiver because that's what we played at Alabama, and we know we know Tess Johnson played in the slot um, almost exclusively at Troy, so we know those guys' history um, and and kind of where they fit. Dickey, I don't know. Like maybe he's an X, maybe he's a Z. Uh, maybe they use him in the slot um, based on body type. Like I've got him listed as a Z, but I maybe I could be convinced he he fits behind Troy Franklin as his number two. Regardless, I would be surprised if he of that trio leads the group. I'd probably, in order of my guess, like I'd go Holden, Johnson, Dickey, maybe just because I think Holden is your starting Z, and that was a position this year that we saw Coda and and, and uh, Thornton. If you combine the production of whoever was starting there, had some pretty like they, they outpaced what the slot guy had. So we'll see if that's mm-hmm. still the case in twenty three with the new offensive coordinator and a new system. But that would be kind of where my that would be my, where my answer would be there, Matt. Um, would be I'd go Holden Johnson Dickey in that order, but I Dickey's a it's, it's always hard to project two freshmen and what their roles are going to be. Like we're historically not good at it, and I could be I, I wouldn't be stunned at all. Like if he ends up being a guy who's just so damn good that by midway through the season he's one of your top two guys. Like he like five star guys, maybe that happens. But I also could be convinced he's your fifth guy all year and, and has two hundred receiving yards because like. Individually, you all look at them and say, "Oh, they're going to play. They're going to have. They're going to have an impact at Oregon." But, like you said, Eric, earlier in the show, like we, we, it's just natural habit to just kind of throw these crazy expectations onto newcomers, true yeah. freshmen especially. Right. And there's a high chance one of these three has a huge year for Oregon in 2023. But all three of them, like, feels unlikely. Well, they need well, they need they need a couple of them to be big yes. contributors, right? Or at least at least one of them. Well, and then when I say like huge year, like I think all three will contribute. But like when I say like a huge year, like I'm thinking 600 or more yards receiving and five touchdowns or more. Like I don't think all three of those guys do that in 2023. Well, if they did, that would be unbelievably impressive. But yes. I mean, you still have Troy Franklin in your back pocket here. He's a guy who had yeah. 900 yards receiving last year. So again, I mean, if 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 you carbon copied this past season and wide receiver and the stats and just plugged in all the new names for this for this upcoming season, it'd be pretty good. I don't think anybody would be disappointed in that production. Um, I, I expect Treshawn Holden to put up very similar numbers to Chase Coda, if not better, um, just because he'll he'll play. He'll you know hopefully barring injury, he'll play in all the games. Um, Dickey is hard to project just because, like Eric said, it's like. Yeah, he he's he looks amazing on his film. He's got the physique to to go forth and play as a true freshman. So I don't think that that'll be a question mark. But how much does he play? What position does he play? Does he come in and, and produce? Does he come in and get clamped like Dante Thornton did his freshman season? Like I don't know. I don't I don't I don't know those answers. But what I do know is that Trayshawn Holden is is someone who's probably going to start the season at the Z receiver position. And Tez and Chris Hudson, who are two legitimate slot receivers who both have, you know, production at the power or Tez not at the power five level, but production at Troy, um, those guys are going to produce. I, I, I don't think it, it matters who is on the field between those two. I think they're both going to produce. Um, I just want to see what Tez Johnson looks like in comparison because he's just he's been a baller everywhere he goes. So I, I have no reason to expect he won't produce at this level as well. Um, should I give final depth chart projection here and then we move on to the break? Sure. I've got a, for a starting three and actually it's like a starting two and a half. Cause I have a, I have an or in here. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm a lame like that. Mario. Mario. I was going to say, I followed the Mario <laughs> Cristobal path. Although Dan was a notorious or guy as well this year. Let's be real. Like before this season was. started. There Dan, was no, Dan did just not have a depth chart. That, yeah, that, there's just, there's no, there clarity. Was just no depth chart. Yeah. We had no depth chart. So I guess everybody was an or, uh, I, I have Troy uh, maintaining his starting X spot. I have Trayshawn Holden at Z, and then I have an or between Hudson and Tez at slot. I really don't know how that's going to play out, and I don't even want to really want to 
try to weigh in too much until we get to, to spring to get a feel for that. Like, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Tez wins it, but I also don't want to discount Chris because I know it wasn't a great season. But I also say, like, going back and rewatching some of the games, I think he had, like, four or five touchdowns that were just, like, wiped off the board either by penalties or something that was completely not his responsibility. Like, you go back and watch it. It just seemed like every time he had a good play, something bad happened that made it not, not, not actually count. Which or is just, he dropped it. Well, he did have a little bit of drops, but no, they're legitimately like they're legitimately like four or five. Like I think Marcus Harper probably owes him three touchdowns just from him being too, too far downfield. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, I mean he owes himself three or four of them because he he's dropped a couple or, or right. tripped no, over I, the I, tripped over try- the turf monster a couple. I'm times. just trying to give him some credit for the fact that he actually got into the end zone several times for for plays that he was celebrating and then were called back because something happened around him that wasn't legal. Um, and then in the in terms of backups, I have I have Casper, Dickey, and and then obviously Tez Johnson as the backup slot. But I have Casper at X and, and Dickey at Z. Casper was working at X as of as of this last year, so that's why I have him there. And then Dickey again as kind of the wild card. But I didn't want to. I didn't want. I didn't think like I think he's clearly in your two deep, and I didn't want to ride a two deep without him. So I could if if he's an X, move him to X and find somebody else to put at the backup Z spot. But that's sort of where where I'm at right now. This is admittedly much more difficult than quarterback or running back where you've got your yes. top two guys back at those positions. And it was very easy to, to kind of just turn that over. Just a, a quick thing before we go to break. I'm excited for Kyler Casper. I think, yeah. I think he could be really good. I, I mean, he was an early enrollee last year, reclassified if I'm, if I remember correctly, yes. um, into the class of 22, uh, big dude, 6'5", 200 plus pounds, moves really well. Um, I thought he got better over the course of the season that we were able to see him practice. Um, I, he was, he was, I, I'll break the circle of trust now that the season's completely over. Um, we, we saw him in 11 on, on 11s uh, and, and he looked good. I, I, I just like the way he moves for somebody that size. He moves fluidly, which I don't think you see a lot of times um, with, with kids his age and his size and his position. Um, I think if he hits his if he hits a ceiling, he could be an immediate contributor either next season or the year after that when Troy ultimately goes to the NFL. I I just really like him and what he could bring to the program. All right, let's take a quick break. We come back, we'll dive into tight ends and the offensive line. Hello everyone, it's Mike Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Um, tight end group here looks a little bit. Excuse me. Uh, Terrence Ferguson, Patrick Herbert are back for another season for, for the Ducks. Um, Cam McCormick is off to the warm and sunny Miami, uh, linking back up with Mario Cristobal. Lucky Matavau has headed south to UCLA, and a man named Charles Kelly. Uh, and then Kenyon Sadiq has been the addition so far for Oregon at the tight end position group. Um, Nichols Harbor is fi- a five-star recruit, um, is going to be on campus for Oregon this weekend for an official visit. He's trying to find a place where he can compete at the highest level for football, also compete at the highest level for track. He wants to be an Olympic runner. Um, This is probably the position group where we probably, speaking for all of us here, that there's confidence, but there's fear too, just the lack of depth. You can't, yeah, three players is not enough. Um, I mean, you, you, you think about what we've run through at quarterback, maybe the one position where you can get by it at, with three, but like at running back, they have five scholarship running backs. They have nine scholarship receivers for three positions. So three is cutting it close. Uh, I think you need to add at least one. Um, 
and you know you could maybe get by, two maybe I mean I, I I could be convinced either way depending on who the ad is and kind of what their role is but um, certainly the one group that you we're going to look at here today where you go gosh it's just a pretty clear need here because I don't know if there's like I'm pretty I feel pretty content with what they've got at quarterback and running back. I think at receiver, maybe if they can find somebody else, maybe Nichols Harbor plays more receiver than tight end. I mean, I don't know if it's – I think they've, they've talked about him at tight end because of his size, but he could be a DK Metcalf sort of athlete where he's just a huge, fast human being and you line him up mostly on the outside anyway. Um, but regardless, yeah, no, I think tight end is a position to, to, to kind of monitor. Uh, you feel good bringing back Terrence Ferguson – do think I have concerns here in, in part because you lost, you know, you guys, they rotated three tight ends basically and played very similar snaps. And two of those three guys are gone um, and, and had eligibility to return. Not keeping one of those two does hurt a little bit in my mind. Um, you know, finding a way to keep one of those guys, you know, would have, would have really helped kind of, I think the, the kind of the tenor of the position, kind of the trajectory of it this year. Um, but if you, you know, class half full is Terrence Ferguson now has a year where he is the top guy. Um, last year he was the top receiving tight end, but didn't start as many games as Madaval or McCormick played a little bit more snaps. But I, I think you look at this year and go, this should be a year where, where he's not only the featured guy, but he could be the player who plays two times more snaps at tight end or a significant number of snaps more than the rest of this group, depending upon how it all plays out. So um, I like Ferguson. I like the production we saw. I thought at times he was a really valuable part of this offense. There was a weird part in the middle of the season where he just completely disappeared for like five weeks, which was strange. Um, but I don't have any concerns there. I think Patrick Herbert showed in 2022 that he still has something left in the tank, which was really encouraging. You didn't really know after a guy misses two seasons, it's hard to kind of know what they've got. Patrick was a really good athlete coming out of Sheldon and, um, I even think we saw a little bit this year he's lost a step maybe compared to where he was coming out of high school because um, this guy was a lot more explosive. I mean, I just think the one long passing play he had all season against Cal where it was like a rumbling, stumbling 42 yards, that looked a lot more smooth and, and uh, it just looked different several years ago when he was playing at Sheldon just from an athleticism perspective. I think he's lost a little bit of that. but still very much capable, big body, athletic. Um, so those guys, are, I think, right there can can be a top two. And then we see what you've got from Sadiq and you see what you get out of whatever this last addition is to kind of round it out. But I will say, I think offensively, this is the group that I, I look at and kind of go like, ah, there may be a, they're, they're a body short right now. And, and, it, and you can kind of just feel it. Like going through the exercise, you're just kind of going like, yeah, they, they need to find a player or two here. I will continue to beat the drum that they need to add two tight ends to this room. Look, you're relying on Terrence Ferguson, who's a mighty fine tight end, who's probably the, the better tight end Oregon's had since Jacob Breeland. Um, you're relying on Patrick Herbert, who um, let me pull up the, the stats in front of me, who has played a combined 231 snaps over the last three years. So mm -hmm. that's not great. And then Kenyon Sadiq, who's never played college football. Um, I really like Kenyon Sadiq. Eric just went over all the reasons to like Kenyon Sadiq. Um, that's not a lot of depth behind Terrence Ferguson there. And I know that Patrick Herbert looked better this season. That's because he actually played. Um, it's tough to rely on a guy who missed two straight years due to injury. It really is. And you lose Cam McCormick and you lose uh, Taren, or excuse me, you lose Maliki Matavau. Both those guys played 100 fewer snaps than Ferguson. So Ferguson is always going to be the number one guy. He's just going to be more of a pass catcher than a run blocker. But maybe that's something you have to take into consideration because – Who's going to be the run blocker in this group? Is it going to be Herbert, who's often injured? Is it going to be Kenyon Sadiq, who's significantly smaller? Like you get, like Oregon needs another guy who's basically just a pass blocker or a run blocker. Um, if that's how Will Stein wants to work his offense, I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. Um, but you, I, th I just still think you got to add two guys. I think you need five guys in your in your tight end room. Whether that's Nicholas Harbor and someone who's more experienced, I think that's probably like that's probably your best bet is to get some uncommitted true freshman and then some transfer portal addition. But I, I just, I just don't like the depth right now at all. Um, I know Nicholas Harbor is still available. He's had a crazy day already this morning. I'm not sure if you guys have noticed, um, but Walker Lyons is another guy that's still available. He decommitted from Stanford a long time ago after David Shaw was, was fired, hung up was his that, cleats. I don't, 
he resigned. Mutual. I think, te- technically he resigned. resigned. Technically, yeah. Um, he was he was mutually. Yeah. Um, that's another guy that they could go after. I know it's very late in the process for them, but I just don't like only having three tight ends right now. I really don't, and I don't even know how much I would like if they had four tight ends right now. Um, they used all their guys last year with how Will Stein runs his offense. I don't really know why they wouldn't use all their guys. Um, or wouldn't use five guys, four guys this year either. I just, I think it's important. I think if they want to continue to run the ball the way they have the last couple of years um, without this good, without their good offensive line last season, I think tight end is going to be a big position group. Maybe it's time Dan Landing uh, dust off the phone and gives Tyler Nanny a call and see if he, if he could come back. I mean, he's got eligibility left. He, he walked as a walk on for senior day. But like, if there's a dude that's a walk-on that that looks like a scholarship player, Ty- Tyler Nanny is that guy. He is a human. Yeah, until you see a until you see him play. Well, but I mean, the, the only <laughs> thing, the, the only thing you could argue is like under Mario, Oregon did have some success with walk-on tight ends, at least like in terms of utilizing them. I'm not saying that's the I I, I with you, Jared, in terms of I prefer they add players. But if there aren't enough spots at the end, so to speak. Like they did have a run with like Ryan Bay being a guy who was a a, a, a well utilized right. tight end, and Cooper Schultz gave them some good reps in in red zone situations during the 2022 season. Like I'm 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 with you. I'm just creating like if if they're if they if they come to the point where they say, hey, we don't really have a, a scholarship remaining. Like we've got the one guy, Brett Four. Right. We don't really have a scholarship available, and we should know. Like they had five scholarship tight ends this last year, but Terrell Tillman played zero snaps. They really did just use four. I understand it's a different four. But like if they get to that point and then they say, and we will just use big old Tyler Nans will be out there in our 14 J. Yeah, maybe they maybe they like, switch Jake Shipley. About. I get that. I just or, I think or, but, or uh, Mateo. Mateo Uyunglele is a guy who's played tight end. Like maybe you play him a little bit out there. Let, 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 you, I know. You, you I can know, find creative solutions is what I'm getting at, but I understand your point. I agree. I just think if you find creative solutions, it's a wasted scholarship spot. Like if you're well, this guy's not really good enough to play defensive end. Maybe he could play tight end. It's like, should he should he be on the roster? And for Mateo, I I his his biggest upside is playing defensive end. There's I know he could be a good tight end, but like, Oregon still has Terrence Ferguson. They still have Kenyon Sadiq and guys to put stock into. Like, I just think they need more. And I'm gonna keep beating this drum until they start to add people. All right. Uh, All right let's uh, let's see yeah. your. Uh... But the two the two deep here is just like it's super- not very hard. I just no, went, there's three I, options. I, I went I went Ferguson and then I went Tyler Nanny. No, I went um I went Ferguson and then I went uh, Herbert. I went Chalk. I went I went older guys over the freshman. I wouldn't be surprised if Sadiq or Harbor or one of those guys ends up being a a really important part of an offense for Oregon in terms of playing more than Herbert. But at this point, it feels really outlandish to suggest. Well, it would be absurd to suggest Harbors in your 2D before he commits to the school or even visits the school. And then for yes. Sadiq, I just think it's it's a little early. Again, I'm, I'm going to be a, a step slow probably on projecting true freshmen to start just because I'd rather do that than do what Matt and I did a couple years ago with Kingsley Sumatia where we predicted he would start and then he uh, made it to Thanksgiving – or not even Thanksgiving, made it to Halloween before transferring to BYU. Um, real quick, Jared referenced that Nicholas Harbors had a day. He – he posted something on Instagram saying he was in Colorado um, for a visit. Boulder, Colorado. Boulder, not just... yes. Um, but his dad has quickly told Steve Wilfong that mom and dad are at work. Nicholas is in school. Uh, and Oregon is expected to be in home for a visit tonight. So Harbor's just out there being a kid. And that's like the one I think – unfortunate situation for these guys that when you're 16 17 you do goofy stuff you do dumb stuff and everyone reacts to those types of things in a weird way when you're a recruit all right offensive line now uh the cycle of the same unit is is gone now uh Forsyth has graduated big sala has graduated Ryan, uh, TJ Bass has graduated. Uh, Ryan Walk has graduated. Um, so you're going to see new faces, new people playing uh, along the offensive line next season. Um, 
Big news for Oregon, Stephen Jones is coming back. This was supposed to be his last season, but an injury kind of derailed that that plan. Um, we saw Marcus Harper evolve into a legitimate starter for Oregon. Um, Jackson Powers Johnson continued to be kind of a Swiss Army knife, could play anywhere type of a guy. Um, we saw uh, Josh Connerly Jr. kind of force his way into the lineup a little bit as a true freshman a five-star lineman in a, in a unit where it was going to be very hard to play anybody new. And yet he found a way to, to create a niche, create a role last season. Um, and then there's going to be a bunch of additions uh, to, to this roster. Oregon went in and added uh, two big, good transfers from the transfer portal. They've added a bunch of dudes from the high school ranks. They've added a, a Juco guy as well. Um, the offensive line is going to look different. There will be some familiar faces, but Adrian Clem has shown his, his value has shown his worth, but he's got a tough, a tough role going into 2023 of just reshaping this unit. Never like to lose four starters on the offensive line. That's, that's never a good thing. Um, no one should pretend it is or like they're going to be better. I, I think the good thing is, and we'll get to a moment here. I think the talent is there to be really pretty darn good. Um, you won't have continuity or experience playing together though. And I think when you kind of parse through and think about this line, which was really Oregon's starting group for three seasons, um, you know, I think the experience they had playing together meant a lot, you know, and, and, and kind of, you knew you, they were very reliable by, by the end of last season, or I should say by the end of 2021 and, and through this last season of, you just knew what you were getting from that offensive line. And I thought they were, and just to just to give credit where it's due before we jump into the new guys, like the fact they finished the season with, I think the total was five sacks in an entire season allowed. That's really impressive, and I hope people take that and appreciate take time to kind of appreciate how unique that is. To that was the best mark in the country, and as Matt has said, I think the best mark at Oregon in almost forty years. It was back to eighty six, I think, or eighty eight, one of those years. Um, like th this was a historically good pass protecting group who was also protecting a quarterback who had a really good feel for how to avoid sacks, both from a physical perspective, but also from uh, kind of an instinct perspective, understanding the position. And, and I just think that there was, you know, Forsyth and, and Nix's kind of uh, communication and all of that stuff really came together and you saw how valuable that could be. And I, I, I break all that down to say, I wouldn't expect it to be quite as cohesive, quite as good right away this year just because you you aren't going to have a guy like a Forsyth who can be extra eyes you know in terms of establishing okay where's the, where the protections need to go where, where, where's the blitz coming where do we need to slide what do we need to do up here I'm not saying Jackson Powers Johnson who I expect to be the the replacement can't get to that level but it's going to take some time so um, I think just have a little bit of patience with this group but at the same time like let's run through it I think there's a ton of talent here um, and a, a lot of credit to, to Adrian Clem for going out and hitting the portal and I think hitting a pair of home runs and in uh, a Johnny Cornelius, who was the highest rated offensive tackle in the portal this year, according to 24 seven sports. And then junior Angela, who has like 35, he's like three years of starting experience at Texas as a, as a left guard or a right guard. Those are just big additions. Those are huge additions. Those are guys that are legitimately what I've said this needs to be for Oregon, which is plug and play. Um, I think both those guys start. I think Jackson powers Johnson starts. I think Steven Jones starts and I have Josh Connerly starting. Um, and we'll get to all of this in a moment. Unfortunately, I don't have Marcus Harper in the starting rotation. We can talk about that and say if that's right, but that's wrong. We'll see kind of a better idea of what spring rolls around here. But I just think it's a good thing where you have an offensive line where a guy who started 10 games this last season doesn't have a clear position because you've gone out and you've added players that are of that capability. And you've got Stephen Jones back, who was like, I think this is a thing people forget a little bit is that. Stephen Jones was a starter to begin the season, and the moment he was available to start again, guess who was back in the starting lineup, and guess where Marcus Harper went. So that that kind of tips my hand a little bit in terms of the the rotation. But I think in general, I think Oregon fans should be pretty encouraged by this group. They will have to prove themselves, but a lot of I think I think more athleticism is kind of what, what I would say at the tackle positions, which gets you excited. Certainly less experience uh, at the at the on the interior positions, but they're bigger almost across the board than they were this past year. So more athletic at tackles, bigger in the interior, a lack of experience compared to what you had a year ago. But you can kind of see why you should be enthusiastic about just from a, a talent perspective. I think the the group here is 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 really impressive. Yeah, I don't 
I don't think I have anything more to add. Eric and I, we've talked about this before at some women's basketball games. Um, we're on the same page in what we think that the starting line or the starting offensive line should be in t- for this upcoming season. Um, I think we should just kind of jump into to, to the depth chart and what we what we see from from that unit um, and and just kind of deliberate there and how uh, there's some guys who should or could be starting in our opinions who just aren't or are. Okay, so here I'll I'll run left to right. Um, I have Connerly at left tackle. This is a guy who's extremely highly regarded coming out of high school. We saw him play all 13 games this last year, obviously almost primarily in that 14J package. He played a little bit in mop of duty as well at tackle. But it was a guy who was working exclusively exclusively at left tackle. And that's a good thing. I, I think this last year we talked about how, man, there just aren't too many t- tackle bodies. I feel mm-hmm. really confident Oregon has – there are three players on this roster I feel very confident about being offensive tackles. And it's Connerly, it's Johnny Cornelius – and it's George Silva. And Silva is my wild card here. I have Cornelius as the other starting tackle at right tackle. That's where he played at Rhode Island, was really, really uh, successful there. I feel pretty confident that he can play that spot. Silva is my wild card. Maybe he wins one of those jobs. Maybe he's your third tackle. Regardless, I think that's a big addition uh, from a junior college perspective. Um, left guard, I have junior Angelau over Marcus Harper. Angelau, as I said, a lot of starting experience in Texas. He's bigger than Harper. Um, he's a fifth year player. I just think from a talent perspective, he might be a little better. If you look at the PFF grades over the history of both of their careers, Angelou is markedly a little better. Uh, so that would be where I go at left guard. That's probably the most controversial one at center. I have JPJ. I don't think that's really up for debate. He's been groomed to be the, 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 the next center for a while. I had a hard time in terms of replacement. I have Harper listed here. I also think Dave Ayuli is a name to know as well as, uh, Ayapani Lalu who I mm-hmm. believe is, was recruited to play center. That is Fayope younger brother. Um, at right guard, I have Stephen Jones. And Stephen Jones was your right guard to start last season. And the moment he was healthy and available, he was your right guard to finish it. And I just think you can't ignore that. Um, he isn't coming back to be a backup. So I have him as as your fifth starter. So I've got Connerly left tackle, Engelau left guard, JPJ center, Jones right guard, Cornelius right tackle. Uh, identifying a, a fourth tackle, by the way, was a little difficult. I have Michael Wooten listed here. That, that was one that kind of surprised some people. Um, I just know he was working at tackle this whole uh, right. fall. Uh, so th- that he fits there. The other two names that I don't have listed here who I probably should find a spot for or, or in theory could would be um, Kavika Rogers and Feope. Um both those guys were guards primarily this last year, so maybe one of those guys mm-hmm. ends up being a backup guard, but I don't see a starting path for those guys. Um, but, yeah, that's that's where I'm at, um, and I feel as good as I can about something without <laughs> – when they've got four new starters and I haven't seen any practice, I feel as good as I can about where all of that lands, but we will very much see here in about six weeks. I'm, that's probably the group offensively I'm most excited to watch just to see how it all fits together. Yeah, there's the most changes there, and that's you know Oregon really hasn't had a lot of a lot of changes in the past three years with their offensive linemen. I know they they switched out all five in 2019, but it's been the same it's been the same guys for the last couple of years. And Ryan Walks emergence and Stephen Jones coming in, um, it's kind of switching positions. And TJ Baskets in his third year, um, you know, this is a group that that lost a lot of talent from this past season. You know, this was one of the highlights of Oregon's offense the entire year. Um, like Eric said, only allowing five sacks all season. And I do credit Bo Nix for helping out with that by using his legs too. But uh, I, did, I don't know. There's a chance this offensive line, if everything clicks, could be just as good, I fear. Um, I really like Josh Connolly at a left tackle. He's the most sure surefire left tackle per, uh, prospect and surefire left tackle body type that they've had on the roster in quite some time. Um, George Silva, Eric, I like that he's your wild card because he's another guy who looks like a tackle and plays like a tackle. He's 6'6 or 6'7, 300 pounds. Yeah. Um, you don't get that often. He was the number three, I think, number three or number five Juco player in the country this year. Um, it's a good get. Oregon's done well with their Juco offensive linemen in the last couple of seasons. Um, so give credit to, to Mario then and now Adrian Clem now. Um, I do really like a Johnny Cordelius too. And he's, I have him as right tackle as well. I just, the one thing I would say is is for Stephen Jones, um, I think that's the one spot on this line right now that 
if I had to say where there's going to be a change, I could see it there. But I do agree with your logic, Eric, that he started the season there last year. He got hurt. Marcus Harper came in. Why? And as soon as he was healthy, he was back in. Harper was out. So why? And I agree. I, I think that'll be the start. Maybe if something, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe if well, Harper it, really develops or well, someone think, slides over. Yeah. That was the thing is that Harper was playing left guard. So maybe you would have Angelau move to, to right guard and Harper at left guard would be the way you would align. Angelau could can play both, back. which is right. nice. That's what I'm so, saying. It gives you flexibility. I was going to say that, that I, I think those three guys are going to battle it out during spring for the two and spots. during fall camp for two spots. Yeah, and, I think that's yeah. fair. And that it's it's hard to say one way or the other um, that there's one guy definitively starting. I think if I had to pick one, it's Stephen Jones for the logic that Eric used that he started the year and then when he was back, he was back in the lineup. And then it's up to Junior and Harper to battle it out maybe for that other spot. But like Jared said, I, I think Steven can be overtaken too. I mean, he he's had his really high moments and he's also had some moments where he's just not been very good um, in his career. Um, maybe he was hurt. We don't know that, but um, I, I, I agree with Jared that like, that is a position where he's going it, to, it's a beatable position. It's an open spot and it's going to be two for three or three, three guys for two spots. Yeah, no, I, I, and that's probably the more, that's probably the more fair way to to, rep, to represent it. As I, I, I have in my head who I think should be there, but you're, I, I'm undoubtedly it's an open competition, and then you probably throw in Ayuli and Rogers and Feope yeah. as added competition. But at the end of the day, I would be really surprised if the young or more inexperienced group, I should say, beats out any of those names we mentioned. Because you know, if you're Jones, you're not returning, thinking you're going to be a backup obviously. And if you're Angelau, you're not transferring to Oregon when you could have gone to other places thinking you won't be a starter too. That doesn't mean they can't not win their jobs. That's I'm sure that's been a, a part of the conversation for both of them with, with Clem and the staff in terms of deciding yeah, to return or to join. You can't, can't guarantee it. Yeah, you can't make a guarantee, but there certainly feels like there should be open competition. And, and I think all three of those guys think that they have a great chance to win. And I think they all do. Uh, Harper's a guy I was really high on towards the start of his his run as a starter, and I think maybe by the end a, little of, bit. a little bit from my perspective, but I still think was is very capable. And if he's your your third guard and not a starter, that's a again that's another great spot to be. That's, that's a really really good player. Yeah, I think it's important to note that Junior Angola was coming off a torn ACL that he suffered in August of yeah. last season. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. theoretically, he should be he should be good by the time spring football rolls around, um, maybe not full contact, but I think he should definitely be participating in practices um, just with how modern ACL surgery is, which is really nice. But uh, so that could be something that kind of stunts his role in Oregon's offensive line. I don't anticipate it to be. I still think that he's probably the best true guard that they have on the roster. Um, let me throw this wild card in for you. What if George Silva is just really good as mm -hmm. a tackle and – Mm -hmm. Is your right Connerly tackle. comes off? No, I, I, I Connerly is your best left tackle. I'm saying, what if he what if he moves over to right tackle, and then you have Cornelius, who's a six foot four, three hundred fifteen pound guy. Where does he go? Is that a is that a guard position battle? Yeah. Are you willing to take uh, Stephen Jones out and move Cornelius, who's the more big or the better athlete of the two, at least on film? Well, that's that, that's where I have kind of done that exercise myself of the whole Silva's just way better than we expect kind of thing, uh, which I would still I don't anticipate being the case. Like I I like I really like my tackle combination, but let's say that does take place. Yeah, I would be really surprised if Cornelius is the man left out, to be honest. Um, but boy, then you've got four guys competing for those two guard spots that are all, as we've established, starting caliber players with starting experience. Um, Maybe that's where you see a transfer, by the way. Maybe that's where you see some yeah. roster turnover is like some of these guys who are like, I thought I was going to start. And it's like, oh, crap, these other guys are better. Now I have to go find mm -hmm. a new spot. Um, no, that's it. And that, that, that's kind of that's why that's why Silva's the wild card. Um, I mean, highest rated offensive line recruit from a Juco perspective in the country this year, I think. I know offensive tackling mm -hmm. was it might have been a guard, but highly rated guy. You bring him in here and you give him a chance to go compete and you see what happens. Um, 
No, I, I, I think, I think, again, the thing that's great is between Silva, Cornelius, and and Connor, you have three really athletic, long, lean, kind of angular body types that you just didn't have this last year. Like, no, I think I just think from a ta- offensive tackle perspective, they're going to look the part more than they did in in recent years. That doesn't mean they'll be better, but I just think you watch the guys get off the bus. These guys look more like offensive tackles than maybe what we saw this past couple of years. Where again, TJ Bass would tell, be the first person to tell you, "I'm a guard. I don't know why I'm playing left tackle." <laughs> I mean, he wouldn't say that last part, just, but he was like, "I, I am more of a guard." Good. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, and and Connerly is is cut from the tackle cloth. He just he just looks like one. He just well, and he he is one. Um, he's got the the right body type. He has all the right athleticism and the tools to be a natural offensive tackle. I just think he's that the the stars are too aligned on his player profile to not just be. I, I might even like pen him in as a starting left tackle for next year. I know it's very early, but he's and you know I don't want to oversell somebody who's just coming off of their freshman season. But I just I don't know. I would impressed with just how he's how he's looked in, in practice and during some of the games, even though he's just been that 14J personnel. Um, he's just the left tackle for me. I think that needs to be his his position for next year and the year after that. All right, that's gonna do it for us. On this edition of the Odds and Audibles podcast, stay tuned for a defensive version of that later on down the road. We've got a podcast with Chris Hummer that will come out on Wednesday. Uh, we've got a mailbag, I think, that we're going to be doing on Friday. Uh, so that's going to be your week. And then, hey, next week is, is uh, signing day for, for recruiting. It's crazy as it sounds. It's already oh. here. <laughs> uh, but that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.